Welcome to Daring Daring Two, a podcast that finds out how CEOs and entrepreneurs navigate today's business world, the conventions they're breaking, the challenges they've faced, and the decisions that they've made. And lastly, just what makes them different. Well, welcome to Daring Two. And my first guest for 2022, I'm so excited. We're starting 2022 with a difference because 2022 is going to be a great year. My first guest on the podcast this year is Steve Taylor. Steve is the CEO of a multi-academy trust, and we'll tell you what that is shortly, um, of Robin Hood Academy in Birmingham. That's Birmingham in the UK for our worldwide listeners. And Steve, I'm delighted to have you on the show because we're starting 2022 with a difference, with a passion, because we're bringing somebody from the education sector. And boy, have business leaders going to learn something from listening to your story and what they can learn from what you've achieved as the CEO of the Royal Robin Hood Multi-Academy Trust. So let me begin. So I don't know. When I was at school, most head teachers, like heads of schools, right, told me that they started their school and they knew at a very early age that they wanted to be a teacher. I can remember when I was five having all the kids around me because I'm a bit of a control freak and I wanted them to listen to read me reading a story to them, even if they didn't want to listen to it. Um, but you got your passion from a zoo, like, I know, is that right? Like, can you talk me through, how does going to a zoo, like, instill this inspiration and desire to, number one, education, enter the education sector, and yeah. and second, like, be such a leading light um, at the top of your profession? So go on. Like, for those people that are thinking about what they want to do with their career, is the answer to go to the zoo? Uh, maybe I don't know. I mean, first I'm going to say thanks. For, thanks for having me, and I, I just want to start by saying that I think the education sector, particularly in the UK, I can only speak for the UK, has got a lot to learn from the corporate sector. So I think it's um, I think it's both ways. Uh, yeah. So uh, this is um, in the zoo in Australia it, because it gets said, even better, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I think what I never knew what I wanted to do growing up. But I didn't particularly love school. Um, I certainly didn't love uh, A levels and further education, and so I left school and I was a little bit um, lost for what to do. So I did like many many people have left school at age. I I got a part time job and got up late and went to bed late, and uh, but I had a desire to go to Australia, so flew out to Australia, and really with not many plans and got there and felt um, felt incredibly homesick and a little bit out on a limb really, which as a 19 year old, you know, uh, knocked me a little bit. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I stayed with a family and the family had a three-year-old um, daughter and uh, I got on really well with her. And I'd always got on well with uh, children growing up and also, um, you know, people with special needs and things I considered going and working with um, uh, people with Down syndrome previously. And so uh, I-, I was lost for some things to do one day and the lady was we had said, why don't you take my daughter to the zoo? So I took her to the zoo and it was one of those light bulb moments really where in life uh, I'm at the zoo and I, as I was sort of interacting with her and really enjoying the experience, kind of hit me and I thought, I know what I want to do. I want to become a teacher. It's all clicked. It's kind of taken me to go to Australia to figure it out. But um, that's what I'm going to do. So, you know, I booked a return flight for two months' time, got on the plane, came home, and um, and got into university. And from there, the rest is history, really. But all because well, of going I mean, to in Australia. 
<laughs> and and it's and it's history that you know where you've made some some really important strides i think in in sort of thinking about education and and helping sort of schools um, and the education sector itself think about the role that education plays and and the role that people within the education sector have in terms of their own personal development. Um, so, look, you know, you started your career, you started in a school. Um, you, you tell this story, which I read about, which, like, hit me, like, right in the core because I thought of all the CEOs that I know across different business sectors um, and when I hear their stories, a lot of what you talked about really resonated. And it was this kind of like, you know, here you are in this role and everybody it judges you. You said, you know, you, yeah. you have this high expectation, like the kids are judging you or you're a good teacher. You know, yeah. the rest of the teachers are judging you. You know, you've got all of the government structures that are judging you on performance here you are this young you know the school that you went to um in coventry had been run by somebody that i think they'd been there um i think 20 something odd year 29 years or something um yeah. you were four at the time right four yeah. at the time that they first started there. and here you come in this young chap full of ideas full of ambition that's pretty scary but that's something that probably a lot of like leaders face isn't it how do you deal with that that sort of fear and apprehension well i think i think partly it comes down to what drives you doesn't it i mean for me i always wanted to go into leadership in education you know um, when we talk about being judged by all of those different um external factors that's the same in any organization uh, i think the biggest factor that judges me more than anything else though is me and i think that you know if you're internally built that way, that's a massive pressure to deal with. Um, I think when I went into the into the headship role at the age of 33, I went in with a massive amount of naivety. And I think when I look back now, I think really being naive was really good because um, going in and asking questions without any sort of alternative agenda, just because I didn't know, was really useful and set me up ready for... Um, you know, transforming an organization that had been pretty stale at the time with the, um, that's by, just to be clear, that's not the organization I work for now. Okay? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, this is, this is your first organized, first sort of first school session, yeah. that you work for. Yeah. yeah. So, but, um, but yeah, it, it gave me a real driving force to move things forward. And, um, you know, a lot of that was done with naivety, which meant that I did some things that maybe others wouldn't have done just because, I'd not, I'd not come across it before. And I think ultimately that was a strength, but it also meant that I made a few mistakes and put people's noses out of joint occasionally inadvertently. You talk about taking risks and learning from failures as being something that's really important to you. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about the Robin, number one, Robin Hood? I don't know. I think about Robin Hood. I think about yeah. like, you know, the story, Robin Hood. Um, yeah. But it's actually a school. So can you, for our listeners, many people won't actually know what a multi-academy trust is. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the CEO of that multi-academy trust. So tell us a little bit about Robin Hood. I mean, really? Is it really called Robin Hood? Well, it's a, so a multi-academy trust for people not in the UK is it's a group of schools run together as a charitable organisation. So we've got we've got about 2,000 pupils um, spread across four schools. We're about to go to six and become 2,500 pupils. Um, but in terms of Robin Hood Multi-Academy Trust, our offices are based 
this is going to sound terrible, but we're based by a roundabout in Birmingham. And the roundabout is called Robin Hood Roundabout. <laughs> okay. And our first school that we worked, that, that the trust began as, was called, what well, is called Robin Hood Academy. And so I would, we were saying, you know, we'd love to be able to say to you guys that it's because this was the furthest realms of Sherwood Forest and all of this element. <laughs> I, think, I think the reality, it might be that the school was near Robin Hood Roundabout and it it's been named because of the geographical location to a roundabout that inspiring that well you know it's it's the little things that make a difference right but actually within the school if you think about it it's like on the sector of like round a roundabout in an area but you've done some really creative things in there that i think you know if i think about organizations today that and particularly in 2022 of what we're seeing post covid and and across the world there's there there is this real demand for like think differently act differently be differently your voice about being different in the education sector was happening before covid right back in like you know 5 6 years ago you were talking about that it's time for a the education sector to make a difference and that perhaps like the way we've been thinking about education is about thinking about how well a particular school does or the people the pupils within that school you were kind of pushing the boundaries quite early on tell us a little bit about your thinking around that okay i think that i think there's loads of good people out there um doing some really creative thinking but i i look at education and i I think sometimes because it's performance driven, isn't it? You know, in, in the UK, yeah. with performance tables. And I think what that does is, you know, historically, not everyone, but a lot of schools and a lot of organizations linked with education, they want to have the upper hand to, to get the best outcomes for their pupils. But of course, that's going into a league table against many other schools and organizations. And it just, it, it, it gets to me. It gets to me because I think that, you know, I'm accountable for 2,000 children in my organization. But the reality is, is that if I care about education and I went into it because it's vocational and I want to make a difference to children's lives, it's not just about 2,000 children, is it? You know, with Robin Hood, Matt, when our view has always been trying to create a, ro- a wider ripple in education, more than we're entitled to, so punching above our weight, because we're only a small organization. Mm-hmm. But I want us to make a bigger difference. And that means that, you know, during um, COVID, my, our small team, and we've got some really great people on it who, who do some tremendous work, we built some resources that other schools, because we, we're partnered with a school in China. So I saw they were in lockdown. I phoned up the school in China and I asked them what it was like to be in lockdown. This was like early February before the UK had gone into lockdown. Mm-hmm. And off the back of that, we decided to build a load of resources. And so we were ready. As soon as we went into lockdown, all of our resources were ready. But education in the UK generally probably hadn't seen it coming in the same way. So we offered them out. And, you know, they weren't really big across the UK. Hundreds of schools using them and, and some schools globally. What we said about that was we would allow people to take their logos off, our logo off, all of the resource we created, and it's just about them making it better. And so I think it's not about pushing our name out there with these resources. It's about these are our starting point. Can anyone build on them? And I just think in education, sometimes people worry about putting their head above the parapet and they think that they might be seen as having this big ego, whereas I see it with us. 
we've done a lot of thinking around something. We'll put it out there. And if people can better it and improve it, then that's great. That's what we want them to do. This is a start of a 10. And can they build on it? So that's been our, our view and vision. But it all comes down to, can we make a bigger difference? Because what I want to have, what I really want to do is, I want to look at myself in the mirror and know that I've done the very best that I can do in leading the organization. And I want to make a difference. And I have to say, when we went into lockdown and we started having hundreds of schools using our resources, I phoned up my dad to tell him when I was driving home from work one night. And I started crying, which is going to sound wimpy, but I started crying down the phone. Oh, no. Why do we think that sounds wimpy? It doesn't sound well, wimpy know, at all. But, it sounds like you've yeah. got, you're, you're human, right? You're yeah, showing well, some humility and humbleness. I started crying down the phone to him, and it was because I realised at that moment I'd hit a career goal and it had just dawned on me. I always wanted to try and make a bigger difference to education. And at that moment, at a time when education, when we were needed, we stepped up because of the team that we'd built. And, you know, it made me so proud, but it, it, it also made me cry. And I think, but I think part of that is to do with the pressure of the role as well, because, you know, you said to me about, we believe in taking risks and learning from failures. And I do believe in taking risks and learning from failures, but I've got to be honest with you, I hate it when we fail. Uh, I hate it, you know, and I'm worried about being found out all the time and someone saying, you're just not really good enough and um, and on your bike, you know. And I, and I, I imagine, um, I know I felt that myself as a leader um, during the course of my career. I still feel it every day um, in the business that I run of like, you know, you're responsible for a lot of people. You're, you, um, you want to do the best. The fear of failure is always... Um, like in the back of my mind, but but turning it um, as a positive to say like what you learn from that seems to be something that you have kind of like um, grasped and, and are sharing. So this this idea that you brought to life, um, sort of saying you you know you were ready pre COVID, if you like, with this. I think you called it pair and share, which I love. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you almost have created like an open system. I mean, it's almost like the open systems environment, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah, we're yeah. open systems and you're doing that for the education sector. Isn't that something that needs a bigger voice? I mean, how do we get other people to understand this importance? We did some research last year that said connection, collaboration and, and, and in leadership are absolutely critical to people being the best that they can be. And it sounds like, connection and collaboration is something that you're kind of pushing an open systems concept in the education sector in the UK. Come on. Are you kidding me? Really? Yeah, uh, exactly. And talk about it because it's like you've made it happen. That's exactly what it's about, but it's encouraging people. And I think the thing about education is people do worry about putting their name up as being a specialist or an expert. So, you know, I think for education to move on where it needs to go, the next the next few years needs to see, see all schools and organisations where they've done fantastic and amazing work and, and brilliant paperwork and systems to support um, their children. I'd like to see that every school publishes on their own website or in a centralised format more of their resources for others to go and take and use, take the logos off, because it's not about that and share that, that best practice. And it is exactly like that in terms of the open system format where what we're trying to do at this moment in time in its initial phase is, is modeling it. You know, yeah. we've just launched at the moment um, podcast CPD two, which is. Yeah, please talk about that. 
that's curated podcasts because you know there's loads of podcasts out there at the moment. You can there's so many that you it's so easy to um, to miss them, isn't it? So we were looking at at podcast CBD too, and we we're thinking at a time during the pandemic, how do we target um, people who are interested in learning? but don't have a lot of time when schools and organizations are going to be pushing a lot of health and safety, um, you know, regulation yeah. and a lot of training is going to be on compliance. How do we push it? And so I thought, well, why don't we curate a list of podcasts, some of which we've created others we've been on and had a listen to and that we listen to them a little bit like a book club. You know, we have. Um, so is this within of- your, within the trust that you have, or do you right, open that to anybody? We- we pushed it out nationwide. We've got 400 leaders from across the UK uh, signed up for it. And then after after a couple of podcasts, we do a Zoom where we, um, we bring in one of the guests we've interviewed and then we, um, then we put people into breakout rooms and we create networks. So our thinking around that was, one, people get to do the learning in their own time when they're driving to work, washing up, walking the dog. So it's bite-sized chunks when it's convenient to them. But also, we think connecting and articulating your learning is so important so that you you know make it concrete and you take on board others' views. And in my view, what we really want to do is start to allow people to make connections and network with other people that they wouldn't usually meet. And so if off the back of Podcast CPD2, some people listen to our podcast and think they're great, something they could be better in other areas. I don't care as long as they've got an opinion, but what I really want them to have is when the program's finished and it's 11 weeks, I want them to have three or four people nationwide they can call on that they would never have met before. Now, if we do that, that's an ultimate success because what we're then doing is we're pushing forwards networks that are going to last a lot longer than this concept, which means people are going to be more informed and they're going to be better at their jobs and make a wider difference to education. So that's, that's really the vehicle that we're pushing it out in. I mean, we're learning a lot along the way. I'm doing an MBA at the moment, which is where mm-hmm. I met you through a, yeah. a tour. And as part of that, uh, you know, this is a research project as well, so we can make sure it's as well-informed and we can really kick it on to the next level after this. I mean, it's pretty cool. If you were like somebody young right now thinking like, you know, I thought about it going into the education sector, but, you know, I don't know, it gets a bad breast and like, is it a career for me or whatever? I mean, it sounds like you're making it like almost like a startup kind of organization environment that sounds pretty attractive to somebody that might be thinking about the education sector. I mean, how do you position something that is so vital um, for the development of people um, of the future and getting them to think about education as as a career that has like so many avenues to it and, and so much entrepreneurship to it? Well, I think I'm, I, I think that, Sometimes when we say to people, go and become, go into teaching and, you know, teaching status across the world has got, you know, in some schools, it's val- in some countries, it's valued, isn't it? In others, it's a, it's a lower status. It's valued, yeah. in the, it's valued in the UK. But I think when you're saying to people these days, go and, go and become a teacher, I think we need to get it, make it clear to people that it doesn't have to be for life. You know, you can be a little bit more fluid with your career than that. And I think with, I certainly feel that, you know, I'm 43 I'm running Robin Hood, Hood Matt. Am I going to be a CEO of, of an educational group of schools until I'm 65? Absolutely not, because I want to know that I can go on and be tested in other areas and have I got transferable skills. And so I think we make 
I think we make going into teaching and education more appealing to people by almost releasing the pressure a little bit. Don't think about it as an entire career. Think about it as some amazing skills you're going to develop. But it doesn't mean that you can't go on and transfer that into something really amazing in the corporate sector. You know, it's. I just think that education and going into teaching in the past, it's been a little bit blinkered because people go in at the age of 21 and they leave at 60 and often they're tired and worn down because it's quite an attritional career. But yeah. it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it can be you can make a difference to children's lives. You can kick on and really help organizations move forward. But then you can go on you know, try something different. That's what I'm interested in doing because I think for my own well-being, I've got to uh, I've got to have another avenue in the future that I can go down to see. You know, can, am I a one-trick pony or can I go and um, can I go and do something in a different, completely different field? It sounds like to me that you are like um, articulating something that a lot of people are talking about right now. Like, you know, we're hearing about mass resignations, you know, the big resignation crisis of people are rethinking their lives and what they want from them lives, you know, sort of maybe spurred by the COVID crisis and, and what that has created in people thinking about it. But this concept of career experiences as opposed to a career, I mean, yeah. how can we get sort of like the private sector and the public sector to be thinking about that um, more broadly. I mean, you've, you've managed to get sort of people thinking about collaboration and connection more broadly across the education sector to say it's not about hoarding. How, what's your views on how we might be able to make career experiences through the lenses of private and public sector as something that, that's real? It's, it's really doable and actually maybe what people are looking for right now. Well, I think there's. I think we miss a massive gap because, in terms of you know, corporate social responsibility. Um, you know, with in in the corporate sector, I think you know there are loads that that, that do a tremendous job. There are some organisations that probably miss a trick a little bit. I'm lucky enough to one of my close friends is higher um, in um, in Pepsi, and I go running with him three times a week, and he tells me um, we talk leadership and we talk um, we talk about insight into how his organisation is run, and we talk insight into how my organisation is run, and I, and I think that though the collaboration between education and the corporate world, I think it is just built on. I don't think it's built on a lot. I think it, I think in the UK it's really flimsy, and I think there are so many opportunities missed. And often when we look at um, corporate social responsibility into schools, you know, I'm thinking banks and different elements, you know, mm-hmm. it'll be to improve the, uh, the, the campus or the building. Um, it might be to do something with the children. But I think that in terms of staffing, you know, giving people an opportunity to see what education looks like um, from the corporate sector on their careers and also giving teachers the opportunity to look outside of the education sector, I think it's an absolute untapped reserve that we've got to start to explore in much greater depth. And I think if we can do that, we would see partnership and and in terms of um, corporate and education working together, but also those career steps, I think would be a little bit easier and they'd they'd be a little bit less regimented and, you know, it, it would open up people's minds to the fluidity of where careers can go. 
Could you imagine? I mean, I was just thinking about your concept of taking all the things that you've learned, all the resources that you've put together, like putting them out there for everybody to sort of like, you know, share nationwide around education, which is what the, you know, Robin Hood Multi Academy Trust has done. We'll call you MAT, the MATs for short term, so that people um, know what a, a Multi Academy Trust is. But what that, what your MAT has done, I mean, if you were to imagine a corporation, say a Pepsi, you know, as an example, took their logo off and actually shared their resources with other corporations. Imagine what that network might look like. And yet it's not that inconceivable to think, to apply this concept about, you know, making a bigger difference, which is what you started to do uh, at Robin Hood. Um, Applying that concept doesn't really... Maybe it isn't as difficult as people might think it could be, right? There could be some things they could learn from doing that. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I do wonder sometimes if I'm, well, I think I know I'm a bit idealistic in my thinking in terms of, because whenever people are creating, when we're doing this co-creation of um, of concepts and, and, and when we're building materials, deep down, isn't it that a lot of people actually want credit for what they've built? for people to know that they were the first creators of some of something that was fairly original. You uh-huh. know, I think how we get past that where actually, I mean, you know, even in the education sector, when, when people build stuff, you know, they've put a lot of time and effort in with their teams. So taking logos off is a bit of a, and, I, and I've got to be honest with you. Scary, right? Yeah. When we first started doing it, um, and I put it out on Twitter, we had some people on Twitter who had got followers of like 40 and 50,000 people. They took our stuff, they put it onto their own stuff, and and they pushed it out themselves as if they'd made it themselves, you know. Yeah. And I was encouraging that, right? Yeah. I was encouraging that for schools. Yeah. What I hadn't factored is that some people were going to push it out and almost take credit for making it. And I had to overcome how that made me feel because actually we'd put we'd put thousands of hours into that work. Yeah. And, we and of course. If you're going to do the great, how did you overcome that feeling? Because that, you know, that's a that's a very you know true and valid feeling that a lot of people have. Like you know, as an entrepreneur, as like having an entrepreneur insight or innovation, you kind of like the buzz comes from having created, but then to see somebody just perhaps kind of like not recognise that. How do you how do you deal with that conflicting emotion of like wanting to share in it to be open and yet? you know, this feeling of like, yeah, but it was my baby. Well, I think that I'm going to give a really honest answer to that because it's two part. The first part is that to really look at the reason we were doing it. And the reason we were doing it was because we wanted to make a wider difference. So it doesn't matter whose logo's on it. You know, if it's out there and more people are seeing it, the ultimate aim is helping people out at a time when they had nothing. And so the more people that have that, the better. So the first step was, got to get over myself a little bit and you know that isn't the important thing but the second part is and this is the really honest answer where i saw a couple of individuals on twitter who were marketing it as they developed themselves and were using it as a vehicle to increase their followers as i yeah. so if the, i'm not talking about schools using it but someone who's trying to get um a, a trajectory of pushing themselves further up i just got in touch with them yeah. I messaged them and said, I see you using our stuff, you know, and that's fine. But just be aware the driver for this is to get it into to out to as many schools and children as possible at a time of need, not just to um 
to rebrand and sell as something that another individual has created. I think that's a really powerful lesson. And I think if listeners, if you know, as you listen to that, go back and just replay that, you know, if you get a moment, because that's, there's some really powerful learning in that, which is, you know, when there is something that's uncomfortable, but actually needs to be brought to the surface, do it in a constructive way, um, but but be transparent about it. And what you just shared and thought, like, the be really honest, here's what I did, was transparent leadership. You know, in its truest form. So I encourage you, if you are a leader today listening, go back and just listen to that and then think back to how transparent are you being as a leader right now? And maybe there's a little nugget there that um, you could learn from. Let's talk about you as a leader. So, you know, most leaders um, during COVID have experienced some kind of change or reflection or. I don't know, some kind of epiphany, maybe not in the case. I don't know. But what's your experience? How do you feel? Do you feel different? Do you feel the same? Uh, I tell you, it's been a roller coaster, an absolute roller coaster. And um, I've been through a whole whole range of emotions from, you know, at the start, I felt that education, when we were doing lockdowns, I felt that if you're in public service, you have to step to the fore and you have to make a difference. And And I felt... I could. It's not on the same level, obviously, with with when when countries go into war and World War Two and things. But I, when education was asked to remain open and keep going during those lockdowns, I felt a sense of pride because we were needed and we stepped up. And so for that, that was a massive that was a massive career high, and I, and I felt that education needed to forge the way ahead and make the biggest difference possible. So there were highs there. I think as we progressed into more lockdowns and we had staff absences, budgets, I mean, we've got about an £8 million budget, but supply teachers and all this sort of stuff um, covering classes because we had staff illness. It then started to become attritional. And, you know, uh, when we started to realise that just saying we're going to return return to normal doesn't mean it's going to be the case, uh, nor should it. But... There have been times when I've been massively, massively tired because of, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think that's different for anyone in any role or sector because I think we've dealt with some elite problems to, you know, we've been very reactive in our thinking. What we're trying mm-hmm. to encourage our leaders at the moment is, you know, if you're reactive and you're thinking for long enough, you've got to be careful your default mode doesn't become a reactive thinker. We want all of our leaders in our organisation to be strategists. We want yeah. them to look to the future with hope and to be empowered to make a difference and not to feel as though we're always reacting to the Omicron variant or the Delta variant or these sides of things. So I think it's been a, it's been a roller coaster. I think there are times when, if I'm honest with you, I'd quite like to go and buy a little, um, a little cottage in the middle of a field with no internet, no Wi-Fi, and just a wood burner and a little library. And I'd like to go and cut myself off from civilization. So, Can't yeah. do that because the Royal Robin Hood Multi Academy Trust needs you, and and so as the, and as all the, the the kids and the wider community, they we need leaders like you to be pushing that. the. Yeah, of course it is. It's Absolutely. Not, you know, I think I always look at, you know, I think with leadership, personally. Um, when the going gets tough, I have to have exit strategies for myself. It's just how I deal with pressure. And the reality is, is that very rarely do I ever take an exit strategy. 
but knowing that I've got one, knowing yeah. that I've got I've got an out, um, you know, I think I think the other thing to say is that if you go into something, you absolutely love it and you believe in what you're doing and you believe that it's making a difference and it's vocational, you have to be really careful. And I've been so guilty of this. Your personality, you the individual and you the leader become so entwined. That's great when things are going well. What concerns me is when things don't go well, can you separate out the two? Because, of course, if my organization fails and I am found out, it doesn't mean I'm a terrible person, does it? It just mm-hmm. might mean that I've got it wrong. And I think trying to separate those out is, I think that's something that I'm constantly um, battling with all of the time. Because, you know, if you care, trying to say that something's just a job, it's not always the easiest thing to do, is it? Mm-hmm. So I think there's so many lessons that leaders can learn from that, right? The, the, the sort of the, the fragility of leadership, it, it's fragile. It's lonely being a leader sometimes, right? Um, it can be a lonely job. It's incredibly rewarding when it, when it like reaches its pinnacle of like that feeling of that connection with what, what you do and, and how it delivers. I mean, you have a staff around you. How do you encourage the young leaders within your organization to really grow and develop you've talked about some of this i mean parent share like blew me away like 150 people like across different organizations getting involved and pairing and sharing and learning Uh, internally what are you doing because you know there's a lot going on not just in the uk but around the world um there's a lot of focus on education uh you know kids are suffering too let's not ignore them in this in this ecosystem it's hard for them to be in and out it's you know where we form our, our formative relationships are formed at an early age um how are you helping your organization and the leaders both guide themselves but um the individuals who they're serving well i think that um firstly we really build we believe in distributed leadership so we've got actually you know we've got like my central team um that that, that i work with you know, a good number of them are way better than me in terms of what they do. You know, I'm fortunate. I've got a, a great team. Um, we we really try and push out. We, we're pushing out at the moment heat experiences for our leaders and what we really want them to to really, we, we're trying to systematize that we push them into some experiences that push them well outside of their comfort zones. And we call them heat experiences and we're trying to build those into their our performance management systems because we want to see how they operate when they've got their back to the wall. That's when you do your greatest learning. So we're trying to make that a focus moving forwards. Um, the other thing that's that happened as it wasn't by design, it was by luck. When we went into lockdown, um, I decided that we we're going to set up a, uh, a collaborative group within only Robinhood Matt. Uh, I was going to call the group Call to Innovate. And so I emailed out every member of staff in the trust and said, uh, we want to create some wider resources and we want to make a bigger difference to education. Do you want to come and join us um, on some of the Zooms with this to be part of this team um, who are going to be doing this level of thinking? You won't get paid any extra money for it. It's going to be in your own time and it's going to be after a hard day's work during um, remote education. But if you're interested, we'd love to have you with us. So we sent that out to um, our staff across the organization. And, you know, 50 people signed up for it and joined our call to innovate teams. And what we did then was we built some um, really tight skill sets 
um, and put them into collaborative working teams of about five and had flat stretches in them, but they would take it in turns leading that that structure. And what we saw was actually there were some people who we had totally um, not understood just how effective they were and we hadn't understood Mm -hmm. just just what skill sets they'd got. And so we saw loads of great leadership come out of that purely because we'd given people the opportunity to make a difference to the greater good and they stepped forward and, and they were unbelievable in it. So that really taught me that actually... Whilst we talent management, talent manage and look in our organization for up and coming leaders, you know, sometimes just giving people some great opportunities, there are people who step forward who maybe you hadn't envisaged, but they really made a difference. And um, that really showed me that actually, sometimes you've just got to have the faith to give people some of the opportunities and see how they run with it. And that, this concept did that. So, that pushed out this belief with us that distributed leadership and giving people opportunities is just so important, which sounds obvious, but sometimes it's finding the vehicle to do that, isn't it? It's massive. It's a massive sort of reflection on the fact that actually just asking people, there are you know people often dying to be able to showcase or contribute what they've got, um, but finding the right avenues for it when when things are very structured are often not possible. And yet what you created was a an environment that said like, hey, you know, come tell us what you can do. Um, and people have like stepped up to that. So, again, I think there's a lot of like um, similarities and and sort of innovations that both public and private sector can learn um, and um, listen to the calling, which, you know, is loud and clear um, in the world today of people saying they want to make more difference. They want their skills to be utilised. They want people to know what they're capable of doing. Um, And, you know, maybe it's like um, this call for innovation kind of concepts or this kind of ecosystem lab that you've created um, is really at the forefront of things. I mean, I mean, the more and more um, you talk about the work that you and the team have done uh, at, at Robin Hood, Matt, um, it is really at the edges of, of innovation. I don't know many schools, for example, that, you know, offer Chinese Mandarin, like from nursery school age. I mean, I don't know, like when I was at nursery school, there was like, there wasn't that on offer. Um, I mean, that's pretty innovative. Like, so, you know, yeah. where did that spark from? I, you know, there's just like oodles of innovation that seem to be pouring out of the Academy well, think- Trust. I think if, you know, the guy I took over from Richard Hunter, he was um, really innovative. And I think, you know, he I can't take any credit for introducing the Mandarin. He introduced the Mandarin. And, you know, it's brilliant when you see it because we've got kids in nursery that are learning um, ma- nursery rhymes in Mandarin. And by the time they leave in year six, 11 years old, they're halfway towards a GCSE um, standard by the time they go off to secondary school. So... You know, I think that what I got from Richard and and, and the thing is I, I inherited an organization that thinks that way because of the work that Richard Hunter and his predecessors had done. And as a result of that, really part of it, I think, is the enjoyment of thinking differently, doing things differently, isn't it? And, you know, going into going into boundaries that others maybe haven't done before. I think if you can get an organization doing that and in education, um, you know, I don't, there are some that do it really well, but often education, 
I think we're a little bit institutionalized. We, mm-hmm. we operate within certain parameters and think that we're tied to how we have to operate. I think it can be a lot more fluid than that. And, you know, we enjoy the chase of trying to do something totally different. Um, so, yeah, you know, we also have kids. We sent a rocket up. In, we, one of the kids said to us, we want to send a rocket into space. So, you know, rather than the teacher saying, why not? You can't do that. We designed the rocket on on um, a 3D program, CAD drawing. Uh, we've got a 3D printer. We printed it out. We hired a weather balloon. We put a GoPro on it, and we sent the rocket up into onto the edge of space and filmed the curvature of the Earth. You know, and that's because a teacher listened to a child when they said, "I want to send a rocket into space," and the first thing they didn't say was, "Well, we can't do that," but they said, "How can we do that?" and and I think that that's so important to have that that organisation where people are taking kids kids. Um, it's not the it's not the no, it's the how. So I guess yeah. if Jeff Bezos, if you are you know kind enough to listen to the Daring Tea podcast or Elon Musk, if you're listening, and there was a young there was a young lad that um, in a school um, in Birmingham in the UK uh, where the school encouraged a young boy, young child, I'm assuming, um, to um, create a rocket and send it to space. So if you're looking for any uh, ideas, uh, look no further, Mr. Bezos and, and Mr. Musk. I hope you're listening. Um, and who knows what else they might learn from you. Steve, I would love to continue talking to you, but we are, like, close to time. I do want to end before asking you, like, you know, to share your um, details with people, two, two things. Um you said one of your favourite quotes was, limits like fears are, are often just illusions. I found that a really inspiring um, quote. Um, tell me how that applies to you. Limits, it's, it's not yours, you said. You think it comes from a film, may come from Will Smith, I don't know. But limits like fears are, are often just an illusion. Well, I'm not sure. Think of an example. Yeah, I'm not sure. Michael Jordan even. But yeah, okay, so I think that, well... You know, uh, as we grow with 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 Robin Hood, Matt. You know, we look to the future and we look at can we can we become bigger? Not because we want to become bigger by numbers, but because we want to make a bigger difference. But with each growth phase comes risk, doesn't it? And you know, I think we're trying to encourage ourselves that as we look to the future, we we don't become hamstrung by the fact that we might just fail. Because you know, if you get in my view, if you're going to go on and become truly exceptional. You've got to be prepared to put it all on the line, haven't you? Not recklessly, but you've got to be prepared to take the biggest risks to get to where you need to get to. And from that, just might come great learning. And, you know, personally, I love listening to Steve Jobs' inauguration speech at Stanford Mm -hmm. because when he talks about looking back and connecting the dots and that sometimes at your lowest ebb, you might do your greatest learning. I think that that is just so important because – that's how I ease pressure on myself, which is it might all go wrong, but maybe the making of me isn't it going wrong. You know, just to, as long as I can flip it, that I've got some positive to come out of it. If we're uh, if we're daring to go into an area that we've not done before. That's so cool. And and as I ask all my guests, I ask them to finish with a daring team moment. So something that they are daring to do, daring to have done, um, or daring to hope will happen. What's your daring team moment? Well, I think professionally, um, not in the near future, but in the in the medium term to long term, you know, I'm daring to see if my skills are transferable to go into a different sector, 
to see see what learning I can do and knowing that if if that doesn't work I'd come back to the education sector more informed more enlightened and a better leader of education but just daring to daring to take the blinkers off and look further afield um, in the future. That's brilliant. And Steve, if people want to know more about the work that Robin Hood Multi-Academy Trust is doing and they want to know more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Like LinkedIn, Twitter, um, social media, um, share some details. I think Twitter, if you want to get in touch with me personally, it's at Tambo Taylor. That's T-A-M-B-O-T-A-Y-L-O-R. That's my granddad's uh, nickname, Tambo. A uh, bit sad, but there you go. That's uh, that's my Twitter handle. And then if it's Robinhood, it's at Robinhood Trust. And if you want to know more about Robinhood, you can go on www.robinhoodmat.co.uk. And we'll that's brilliant. Thank you so much. We've started 2022 with a great podcast and some massive learnings for people, I think, um, leaders everywhere. um, And your insights are inspirational, I think, to both the public and private sector. So thanks very much. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Enjoyed the conversation? Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes of Daring 2. Also, check out our website, dareworldwide.com, for some great resources around business in general, leadership, and how to bring about change. See you next time.